Thanks for joining us for another God-inspired message from C3 Church Monash. Connect with us online at c3monash.org.au and we hope you enjoy today's message. All right. He's risen. Yeah, he really is. And uh, I love that. Um, Sometimes, like, we think Good Friday, we have to be somber because it's not till Sunday. But just so you know, he's already risen. Like, happened a long time ago. It wasn't just on Friday that he was hung on the cross. So he's risen. He's here. And uh, I'm going to read a scripture out of Luke 24, 1 to 8. And it's uh, the end of this, this story. Well, really, it's kind of not the end. But it's the beginning of this narrative of Jesus' resurrection. We're just going to focus on these first few verses and really unpack. But the thing I want to focus in on is, is we see it from our position now and we can celebrate and cheer. But I want to pull us into the moment for how the disciples must have felt coming to the tomb. So just to give you a little bit of insight, um, there has been like for thousands of years, this earnest expectation in the community of Israel for a man called Messiah. Messiah would come and he would be king, ruler, and he would be savior or rescuer. And he would come and rescue the people of God from their burdens, from their their oppression, from their sin, from all the things that had held them back. And, And they lived with this constant frustration of knowing that they were God's people, right? When you get called God's people, like... You're my people. Now, now through Christ, we're all now included into that space. But, but, but this is God's people. Like, talk about setting the bar high. Like, you think you maybe set the bar a little high for your kids. Imagine if God was your dad. Now, he is technically now. But for, for years, this is the, the thing they lived under. And they lived in this conflict of knowing that they kept missing the mark. They kept not being able to reflect who they were. And they were living under constant consequences of their actions. So for them, this, this national hope of Messiah had finally come. And for three years... He watched him radically change the world they knew. They watched him raise people from the dead. They watched him first change water into wine. That's awesome. I love our God. (laughs) They watched him radically reorientate the social structure of the time. Elevating the poor and the oppressed. Bringing freedom. And they were going into Jerusalem with the king ready to rule. And he died. Talk about hopelessness. And so we come to this passage in Luke 24, 1 to 8. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. They would prepare spices to basically anoint and prepare the body because... When you're in the Middle Eastern culture, it's pretty warm there. So bodies don't smell great after a couple of days. That's why. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And they went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead. 
Man, we've got to stop looking for alive things with a dead perspective. This whole scripture is about belief. And we spend a lot of our time looking at things with a perspective of death when Christ calls dead things alive. He is not here, but he has been resurrected. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. So this kicks off this progression of stories of basically people in doubt and hopelessness. So very soon after, the the ladies, they run back and tell the disciples, and the disciples don't believe them. Peter kind of has a sense and runs down and looks, more because he's massively dropped the ball, and he's kind of like, I better make this one up, and runs down to the tomb and finds it empty. And then Jesus appears, it tells us, to two disciples on a road, walking out of Jerusalem. They had left from where they'd been told to stay. They've given up. They're done. They are absolutely discouraged. I think of other Gospels that capture this story, particularly the story of um, Peter, who massively failed the Lord. Could you imagine not just the hopelessness, but the despair of the man that you said, I would follow you to death, and you deny him three times just before he dies, and you don't get the opportunity to say sorry. And in his mind, he's not rising again. In Peter's mind, he's dead, and with it is his hopes, with it is Peter's dreams, It's all dead. This is a good news story for Sunday, isn't it? It's great. (laughs) Thomas is refusing to believe. He's like, even when the other disciples finally see the resurrection, he said, I won't believe it. It's not for another eight days until he can put his finger through the holes. And the great irony of this story is the death that had won them their eternal hope, from their perspective, was the death that robbed them of the hope they'd had in Jesus. For them, death was inevitable and final. Benjamin Franklin, he once wrote to his friend, talking about the permanency. Everyone was like, what's happening with this this great new day for America? Is it forever? And he said, nothing is certain in life except death and taxes. Nothing in life is certain except death and taxes. Now, you can avoid paying your taxes. I don't recommend it. It will catch up with you. But whatever you do, no matter how hard you try, this might be news to you, but you can't avoid death. One day, this life as we know will end. And we have a keen awareness of our mortality, and some of us an over-keen awareness and a fear and anxiety around our eternity. And so we'll do whatever we can to protect ourselves. We have this incredible instinct within us of self-preservation. And sometimes that goes a little too far. That you avoid doing things you know will be fun because you don't want to risk the fact that you might die. Jaws ruined water for many, many people. Still. I remember when we watched the movie Jaws, I don't know why my parents let me watch the movie Jaws at that age, but we did. My brother wouldn't go swimming in a pool. 
Last time I checked, there's no sharks in pools. But I could, without a doubt, we would go swimming at night and, and, and the friends, our friend's house had a, a light in the pool, you know, the little globe thing. Yeah, and we'd turn it off. And he's like, who turned off the light? And then we'd just slowly swim underwater <laughs> and grab his leg. He was petrified. Ten people a year worldwide will die from shark attacks. 259 people will die this year worldwide from taking a selfie. You're more likely to die trying to catch that awesome angle up the top of that cliff than you are from being eaten alive by a shark. And before you judge the ladies next to you, gents, just so you know, 64% are men. But we have this, this keen sense that, that we are frail. And this is the sense they had. The finality, fear, hopelessness and grief that surrounds death is very real. This was keenly felt by Jesus' disciple this day nearly 2,000 years ago. Despite all he had said for his plans of resurrection... The deep-rooted hopelessness in death meant that they had arrived fully prepared to find his dead body and prepare it for burial. It truly was over. When he said it is finished, how they heard it was it's over. Now, this is not to say they didn't have any hope of life after death. Many Jews believed that God the Father would bring resurrection to his people at the end of time. Not long before his own death, Jesus' great friend Lazarus had died. And Mary and Martha both had a sense and a knowledge that resurrection was a thing. That one day they would see Lazarus, but it, they, it was a religious concept. They had no grappling around it and it didn't serve Martha in the moment. Because for her, all she could see was the hopelessness of the situation that her brother, who Jesus loved... And could raise from the dead was dead. And he missed it. He wasn't there in time. And what Jesus does in that situation is he takes this religious concept she had of the idea of resurrection and directs it back to the one who is the resurrection. So in verse John eleven twenty one, then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha said, I know that he will rise again, Lord, in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die ever. Do you believe this. And that's the question for us here today. It's not the reality of what Christ has done. It's whether we believe it. What we see in the passion story of Jesus, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, is his whole story. He is uh, telling it in a way that is, that is, in a sense, highlighting this conflict that exists. All through Luke, there's this rising conflict. 
and, and there's the, the, the moment of its climax is the crucifixion when he dies. And what we see in the leading up is this conflict. Light gives ways to darkness. Love gives way to hate. Peace to violence. Hope to despair. And as this conflict builds and builds and builds, it slowly erodes the confidence of the disciples to the point that their hope fails. But Jesus did not fail. Jesus was faithful to his mission. What looked like failure to his followers is his victory at work. God's creation intent, his intent for creation was eternal union. Sin, which is when we reject God and his way of life, brings a separation to that union. And therefore, death is inevitable. Because the only way to have eternal life is to have union with the Father of life. But because of sin, we're separated from that union. And so when sin entered the world, so did death. But that is not what God's plan was. And he, in his infinite wisdom, had a solution. Through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ... He himself would restore our righteousness. Where we are unrighteous, he would give us his righteousness. Through his faithfulness, that union is restored so that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is the promise and the hope that stands for anyone who will believe. Romans 8, 10 to 11 says, Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through the spirit who lives in you. In Jesus, our righteousness is one and our hope in eternal life is secure. And in him, we have a new life to live now, a restored hope. When things around us seem like they're dying, Dead dreams, dead relationships, trials, sickness, and struggle all take on a wonderful new perspective in the light of his resurrection. So today, as I invite my friend Brody back up, I leave us with this question that he posed to a woman during the fear, grief, and hopelessness of death some 2,000 years ago. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? Do you believe? What is getting in the way of that belief today? What disappointment? What habitual sin that you feel like, surely God's done with me now? What personality quirk? What, what religious narrative that was told to you? What condemning spirit that was brought to you has convinced you that God's done with you? Because he's not. And I'm telling you right now, I'm so convinced of this, that some of you are going to walk out of here free. Like, so crazy free with the hope of Christ. 
Thanks for listening to today's message. If you have any prayer needs, email prayer at c3monash.org.au or connect with us online.